0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is our great pleasure to welcome Sarah Woodbury to the show. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And I say we because I have my trusty co host, Jenna Sachs, on. Hey, Jenna.
2: Hey, salespeople. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Sarah.
0: Sarah is the director of sales at Predictive Index, and I'm sure you guys run across them. They do. I I think you guys do a lot of LinkedIn advertising, too. I think I've seen that or or I'm I'm retargeted anyway, because I often go to your site to to learn about cool stuff around hiring. Predictive Index is a talent optimization company that helps companies make better data-driven decisions about their people, whether that's pre-employment or existing folks to put them in the right roles. The topic that we're going to talk about today is all around building bench strength as we go into the new year. A lot of people are are hiring right now and we thought who better to talk to than somebody who's in the business of assessing candidates who's also ramping their team. So Sarah, before we get into that main topic and and also would love to learn a little bit about you and your career through sales moving up from a uh, SDR all the way up to leading leading great teams. Just curious what hobbies you might have picked up during COVID.
1: Well, I don't know if uh, my hobbies are, are super unique. I think there's a lot of folks out there that are in the same boat as me, but I did um decide to start a family and have my first child during COVID.
0: Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I'm I'm at the the end of it sounds horrible, but you know, my kids are eighteen and twenty one. So I was ushering them out of the house during COVID. So a completely different situation.
1: Yeah, I was more so locked in.
0: I I know that whenever anyone has a new baby, it's like, that is your self-actualization. Before children, how did you keep yourself as fresh on, you know, all things sales, you know, books, podcasts, stuff like that?
1: I would definitely say a lot of books uh, recommended through sales trainers, sales leadership. Um, I'm also just somebody that's a fan of talking things out. So if I found somebody that I really liked their sales technique or I saw that they had a lot of success in their career, just grabbing some time to talk with them. I think you can learn a lot through other people's experiences.
0: You know, let's transition. And, and I, I asked you and uh, Jen and I asked you before we before we press record here, like besides closing out the quarter. Uh in the end of the year what what's top of mind for you, and you mentioned you know building out the bench strength on your team? Can you comment a little bit on on what you're thinking about as you as you look to expand your capacity?
1: Yeah, so we uh need to grow our team. We know that we have some lofty goals to hit in the next year, and I think a lot of companies kind of think about the growth rate that they need to achieve. Typically, uh, is adding on more people, adding on more leads, adding on more efficiency. A big part that we're focused on is the people part. We take the stance at PI to hire entry level folks exclusively and promote from within. We will not hire at the closing level because we have our own sales methodology, our own process that we follow, and we find that it's easier to cultivate that from within and really help people build upon that experience. Um, and sometimes when you Hire folks that have been in the field for a while they come with some some habits, uh, some beliefs about sales that you sometimes need to untrain before you retrain them on what you what it is you want them to accomplish
2: So when you say that you're focusing on hiring that entry level role as part of your hiring plan, I would assume that you have some promotions in store, some things that are you know gravitating towards those closers that you want to see um, how do you tend to manage that progression within? And then what do you look for at an entry-level hire?
1: Yeah. So managing the progression from within, uh, we have a unique leadership structure within our sales team where you have senior closers that are actually coaching the folks behind them. So I, as a sales, leader manage three uh, senior closers that then manage three junior closers that then manage a BDR and an SDR. Um, And if you think about it from a career progression standpoint, uh, you're baking in leadership, you're baking in the future sales management of your company into that strategy. But also if somebody did a job so well that they were able to get promoted, they're the best person that's suited to coach the person behind them on what they need to do in order to meet their goals. So instead of having a BDR manager, for example, that's been off the phones for 20 years, uh, instead, I have people that just were in that job and crushing it in that job, teaching the people behind them.
0: Holy cow. I don't think I've ever met anyone with this structure. So uh, now you got me super, I was already super fascinated, but now you got me super duper fascinated. So just to repeat, so you manage three senior closers, they each manage three junior closers, and then those closers manage one or two SDRs each?
1: Correct. Yes. So
0: who has in that whole structure, because it's a, it's a low span of control in theory, who has quota for individual accounts?
1: So they share a quota within each pod. They uh, share a quota on the number of new clients uh, that they sign up the billings and the sales qualified opportunities, which also helps because if you think about a world where people are afraid to take vacation, there's severe burnout. If I log off for a week and I have somebody still on my team working towards our goals that I can lean on, that theoretically gives me the ability to feel okay taking that time off. Or if I'm an SDR and I need help with creating an opportunity, I'm going to get that support from a junior closer, somebody else hopping in and not feel bad about it because we're all commissioned off the same goals.
2: Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the structure. I'm trying to think of where to even start. So, so are you saying that in that case, the SDR is is or BDR is comped on revenue as well? So it's just the full pod?
1: So uh, the BDR and SDR are comped on their sales qualified opportunities and new clients acquired, so units. So that is driving the behavior that we want to see that you're not just creating ops, you're also creating ops that turn into deals. And then the senior closers are are focused on billings and units. uh, So making sure that those opportunities become something at the end of the day.
0: A unit is is a, a net new logo equals one unit. Is that what a unit is?
1: Yep. A new land deal.
0: Okay. So for each land deal, there's actually uh, some some dollars thrown at them that they have a quota for volume of landed deals.
1: Correct. Yep.
0: Love that you are following promoting w- from within. What have you seen to be effective and ineffective profiles for new SDR hires?
1: So we look for, and we drink our own champagne, so we have a little bit of a cheat sheet, but we look for people that are proactive, competitive, driven to get things done and in- folks that respond positively to time pressures. Uh, so those folks are comfortable uh, being more assertive. So you think about sellers traditionally, people you know would come up to you and they say, oh, you talk really well, you can be friends with anybody, you can walk into a room and you know immediately make friends. You must be good at sales we don't go that route because sales is more so about listening than talking and asking intelligent questions and being comfortable with a little bit of friction, saying no to things, asking for things. And what we found is the folks that tend to be those people people actually have a harder time pushing back on things and saying no because they value being liked over doing what is needed in order to get a job done or a sales closed, for example.
2: So how do you discern between those profiles of the people people versus people who are more assertive and able to say no.
1: So you can ask through behavioral based interview questions. So one question um, I always like to ask is, tell me about a time where somebody gave you a piece of advice that you disagreed with. Or tell me about a time where you needed to compete with somebody that you liked or respected in order to win something that you value highly. Uh, And so what I'm trying to vet out is, are they comfortable being competitive or pushing back on things or saying no to things at potentially the the hindrance of a a relationship, a personal relationship? And then, of course, you ask the follow up questions of what was the ripple effect of that to make sure that it isn't a toxic relationship. But you want to know that they're comfortable with that friction.
0: I recently had dinner with a sales leader who had another great interview question. I'm just trying to think about how this fits in there too. And and the question was, if, if you were to get your current boss's job, what would you keep the same and what would you change? And the reason he asked that question was he was trying to assess the degree of positivity that he really wanted to hire positive people. And he found that positive people will tend to always start with the thing that they would keep and then follow on with what they would change and vice versa and i haven't tested it on many people but i did test it on the most positive employee uh, or one of the most positive employees i know at salesloft her name is actually sunshine uh, that is her given her given name her parents were were hippies and she indeed led with what she would keep immediately and you know i i come from the sales well strategy role strategy world in general and like I don't know if it makes me a negative person or not, but I always start with what to change. Do you think that that's a? I mean, do you think that would that would help you identify you know positivity in people, assuming that that's an important trait for salespeople?
1: That's a really interesting question. I've never heard it framed as positivity. I I think sometimes when you think about positivity, you might also get somebody that is kind of sugarcoating things that isn't comfortable being firm or direct and one of the traits that we look for and some of it is a little bit cheating i, w- I would say pi we have you take a behavioral assessment so i can actually see who you are and how you're naturally wired and the questions just kind of help confirm that for us but we look for somebody that is more direct a little bit more matter of fact um, and those traits tend to be comfortable asking questions, not valuing having the microphone, not valuing candy coating or sugar coating something. Um, and so they, they can be more effective closers if they're more focused on getting the question answered and being those problem solvers. One of our profiles that we exclusively kind of hire for in sales is called a captain profile, and they are natural problem solvers. And so if you did ask a captain, that same question, they would start with, "Well, I'm going to tell you what my boss can do better because I've been thinking about it for a while, and I have some ideas, and I would like to see them implemented." Uh, so I would probably, without knowing, disqualify a bunch of people that I actually would want to hire.
2: Yeah, I feel like that question, that interview question, Jeremy, and I know we've only tested on Sunshine, who I have met once or twice and can attest, yes, I'm very, very positive person. Um, but I, I think it almost is the opposite of what you're you're saying when you're looking not looking for the people pleaser, right? You're looking for someone who's being assertive. And it, it almost comes across as that could be a compliment sandwich kind of mentality where you're, again, you're sugarcoating it. You're hiding the things in between because of maybe a fear. So yes, there is positivity. I think there's a lot to be gathered from how they're responding to that question, like how the positive aspects of it are being conveyed, if that makes sense.
0: It does. Like the degree to which, <laughs> to the degree to which they're unhappy with their boss in the current situation, right? Is, and cause that's how they're going to be when they, when they join your company as well. I think it's, you want to ask these questions where it's hard for people to hide in, in terms of the hard to hide, right? Like on the behavioral assessments that you guys do, I mean, I've done a number of behavioral assessments and I do find that they're remarkably consistent. Though I did do one at one point, where it scored me low on conscientiousness, which makes me scratch my head because like if anything, I'm beyond anal uh in terms of conscientiousness. So uh so do you find that those I guess I maybe may too much of a of a softball question, but like do you find that there is consistency in the way that people answer and that they can't hide when they do these behavioral assessments?
1: I, I find that you you can answer anything, right? Uh in a way that you think you're gonna get that that expected result. And what I mean by that is our assessment asks a couple of questions and ways to describe yourself. And so if you're thinking that the employer is asking, wants somebody that is friendly, outgoing, persuasive, um, empathetic, you're going to select things that lead to that result. And people are smart. They're going to try to, you know, pick the things that are going to represent what the, their best self that they want to represent to you. But we take it a step further where we have a benchmark of success on our side that we are comparing those folks again. So it doesn't matter how you answer it because you don't know what the target is. And so you don't actually know which ones to select to get to w- what the company's uh, looking for in an ideal candidate. And so you might actually be qualifying yourself out without knowing. Uh, and Your natural self might be the right person at the end of the day.
0: Do you look or care about, I'll call it bio data, like biographical background data when you hire? Are there certain profiles that you have found either through data or anecdotally that, that are better fits in your organization?
1: Um, I try not to, in all honesty, because we try to bring people on that are more diverse, that bring a a different element to our team. I find that people tend to hire people that they like. People have that subconscious like-me bias. Oh, you went to UNH? I went to UNH. You must be awesome. Or you played golf? I played golf. Like, Let's go play golf together. And then you end up with a bunch of people that you don't know if they're actually going to be good at sales. You might like hanging out with them, but when they're missing their number, that makes it a little bit tough for you. Uh, So I do try to eliminate that. But what I have seen is it, uh, people that have representation of uh, competition or competing and winning, uh, whether that be in sports or I have somebody on my team that ran her school newspaper and she competed for the editorial lead editor position. Um, if you can tap into that and understand that through the sales process, I think that they're going to have a good shot at sales because it does require a level of you know perseverance and wanting to compete and win.
0: Well, one of the profiles that we found was the a golden profile were people who worked for two years as recruiters at an agency. Is that one you found or are there other golden profiles that you found?
1: I haven't specifically looked for that one, but I do have two people on my team that are rock stars and they did have experience with recruiting. So I wouldn't be too surprised. I think it's a grind uh, and sales is a grind. So I wouldn't be surprised by that.
0: Also, just getting back to the this promote from within, I, I know one concern companies have, especially when they're in hyper growth mode, is that they simply can't source enough talent from internal promotions to to fill the need of the organization. How are you dealing with that?
1: I think that we are specifically designed for that to not be an issue. If you think about it, we're hiring a bunch of folks maybe right out of college or fresh career change. So there are many people out there with little to no sales experience so we can continue to bring people in and have that pipeline filled we just need to make sure that our onboarding and our enablement within our sales team and our sales training is top notch so that when it comes time to move people up through the the ranks that they're ready and even if they're not knowing what it takes to to motivate them to train them which each person needs to work on is the key to making sure that even if we get you in the role little bit sooner than you're ready, we're going to be able to help you get to where you need to be as a closer.
2: With everything going on with the pandemic and right now it's a very, very hot job market. I know a lot of companies are having trouble hiring. How do you handle attrition when it is unexpected? And again, you maybe have to put multiple people in a role that they were not necessarily ready for.
1: Being a company that's in the the HR space, attrition is happening everywhere. They're calling it the great resignation. And I don't think any company is exempt from that. Even PI, we talk about it as tours of duty. You're not going to retire at PI. We're pretty honest about that. Because we put such an emphasis on our people, we see that there's there's such an affinity for wanting to be here within this team that, that holds a lot of people here. I have had a few people that have explored opportunities outside of PI, but ultimately decided to stay day, even if they could make loads more money somewhere else on a base salary or big promises, because there is such a great tight-knit uh, sales team culture, focus on performance and development from within. If you do move somebody before the they're ready, though, uh, is just making sure you clear your calendar that you're going to be there to help support them. Or you can give a uh, mentor buddy. So for example, if you have a junior closer that's never closed, and they're a little bit nervous, throw a senior closer on the call with them for a few times, make sure that they have that backup uh, until they're ready.
0: Yeah, you just hit at something we've seen in our data, which is for people, and whether it's people at sales loft or elsewhere in the studies that we've done, for SDRs who move into AE roles at other companies before they are promoted to AE in their existing company, their failure rate is exceedingly high. There is a risk of climbing too high and touching the sun too too early. Of course, there are, this is statistical, so there are plenty of people who succeed uh, as well. But in, in large numbers, right? if you're hiring a lot of people, it's a red flag.
1: I totally agree. I think we fail salespeople. We fail a lot of SDRs because people get into sales because they want to be a closer. But you have a bunch of BDRs and SDRs that you put into closing positions and it's sink or swim culture in a lot of companies. Figure it out, watch what somebody else does, listen to how they pitch, Uh, here's a slide deck, good luck. And they don't have the skills uh, to, to do the job well. And then you end up firing them or they feel like they're not cut out for sales. What we've designed is that junior closer position is a really important position for our company because it allows them to take a coaching role To the folks below them, but that's their stepping stone into closing. That is where they start to understand how to do a demo, how to run a smaller transactional deal. And it helps that we have a sales process that follows through each position because they have a core foundation that they can hold on to throughout each role. And really, they're just adding different steps like how do you talk about investment? How do you build a plan to close? How do you position and, and align stakeholders to agree on you know, your solution ultimately. You're really only focusing on the latter chunks of the process that they might not be familiar with.
2: It sounds like you partner with a really stellar enablement team throughout all of this. I'm just wondering what that relationship is like, how, how you're able to navigate, again, all of these role changes and, and what that looks like in a unique stri- structure such as
0: yours. You're asking the same, I'm interrupting because you're asking the same question I was going to ask. And I'm going to add a little color also, which is one of the concerns around having SDR, sorry, having junior AEs manage SDRs is that you have relatively early career professionals managing other early career professionals and you don't share best practices across. So I, I am curious, as Jenna is, is also asking, is it the enablement function that provides that, that glue?
1: It might surprise you. I just created our first sales enablement position starting in January. Um, we didn't have a sales enablement function. I think it will be it will unlock um, a lot of really great benefits for us. But if you think about the structure, if I'm meeting with a senior closer weekly and I'm saying, talk to me about your junior closer, what are you working on with them? I can help distribute our, our leadership. It's called, I believe it is. What is that Peter Jacko book? I'll have to look it up. It is uh, based on distributed command and leadership. And so me as a sales leader, I cannot physically meet with every single person and lead every single person, I need strong leaders below me to help carry the message forward. And we need to create those levels of leadership in our team. And so if I'm coaching, my senior leader on how to coach, my junior leader on how to coach the BDR, we're going to get a better result. There's not a bottleneck at me needing to meet with everybody. You're creating that understanding, that coaching, that leadership at each level. And then we also make sure there's tight alignment within each role. So weekly or biweekly, we'll get all the senior closers together, we'll get all the junior closers together. And that is what what are you trying, what's working, what's not working to make sure that across each pod, they are sharing best practices and we are understanding trends between each each group.
0: Well, you offered so, so much when you were framing your your interesting structure at the beginning. The other thing that you mentioned I, I could not let you escape without going into more detail on was that you have a relatively special process And set of methodologies inside the company, which leads you to want to follow this structure. Can you comment a little bit on on some of those processes and why an external hire would not be as suited to success in the environment as a senior sales professional?
1: Yeah, we, I mean, it's no secret. We follow um, sales methodologies similar to Sandler training system. So as a core strategy that is embedded in our culture, and the reason being is we find that people need to be great at asking questions and listening um, and understanding the client pain. If you think about it, PI, we sell into an audience where they're HR, people ops, business leaders that see a lot of turnover turnover. Sometimes we're talking with folks and that turnover costs $4 million a year. And you're like, wow, that's a big problem that you have. Here's a $40,000 software subscription. And you would think that's got to be a no-brainer. You got a $4 million problem. I'm giving you a $40,000 software subscription. If that was the case, you know, we wouldn't need a sales team. Everyone would just be <laughs> signing up for PI. People don't buy based on just a rock-solid business case. They buy based on emotion. They buy based on a need that's on a personal level. And if you cannot uncover that, then you're going to continue to build all these really strong ROIs and business cases that never really get approved. And so Sandler at its core is getting at understanding that need, understanding that personal level pain and really pulling that out and making sure you're tying your solution to their own personal problem. And I think that's why it's so successful.
0: You mentioned personal pain, and what does that mean for the people that you sell to? Like, What are some good examples of of personal pain for them?
1: So there's a difference between a high-level pain, right? We see turnover in our organization, or what we use as a pain probe is sometimes people are really... Great interviewers, or they could really sell themselves in an interview and they show up day one as somebody totally different and then they end up not working out and you're back to the drawing board. You know, I don't imagine that's something that you see. And everyone's like, Yeah, of course, of course, I've seen that. But when you go through the process of really uncovering it, a personal pain is I, as a recruiter, every single day am asked to send candidates to a hiring manager. They have no idea what they're looking for. They just told me to go out and get another sunshine. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how to identify this. I send them a bunch of candidates. They tell me they don't like them. And they just go out and hire their buddy from the golf course who doesn't work out in three months. And I don't know what else to do at this point. And I'm stuck holding the bag trying to find more candidates for them. So that would be personal pain on a day-to-day basis of somebody that we talk to.
0: Well, yeah, I think we we covered a ton of ground. I, I just also wanted to, you know, ask you to reflect on maybe people who were influential in your own development as a sales leader. Because the reason we found you was we reached out on LinkedIn and asked people to to cite people who uh, had been instrumental in in their career. So I'm I'm curious for you, uh, who's someone that was instrumental in your career, and and what did you learn from them
1: this is going to sound a little cheesy, but my current sales leader, but I mean that in the best way because uh, he was a sales leader that came to my organization when I was just a, a BDR at a former company. And it was really difficult. It was my first job out of college. I didn't really know a lot about the world, but of course, I knew thought I knew a lot about the world. And uh, we had a new CEO. He brought in a whole new leadership team. There was people I was really fond of, and I said, "You know, what? this isn't for me. I, I don't want to be here anymore." And I sort of burned a bridge on the way out. And he was the sales leader at the time. And I went, and I had a few jobs after that. And I had experience with a bunch of different sales leaders, and I realized not a lot of people know what they're doing. And it was. Uh, eye-opening that there were so many sales leaders out there that didn't know how to lead people, that didn't know how to help cultivate sales skills and more junior reps. And I reflected back on that. I realized, hey, Jim did a lot of things right at that company. And I had to reach out and I had to swallow my pride and I gave him kudos. I said, Hey, hindsight's 2020, but I learned a lot from you. And I realized a lot since us working together. Um, And I just wanted to give you that kudos. And that led to us working together now here at PI, which is an amazing opportunity. And he's helped develop not just my sales leadership skills, but also just people leadership skills. And I think Many people leaders, and I don't say just sales leaders, but many people leaders lead people the way that they'd like to be led or manage people the way that they'd like to be managed. And that's a one size fits all strategy that is destined to fail because people are very unique and they need different things from you. And being a leader requires you to one, understand yourself, understand what your blind spots are, but it requires you to also adjust your style to your reps, to the people that you're managing so that you're getting the most out of them. And if you have a bunch of people that are exactly the same, great, your job's probably not that hard, but you're probably going to have some people in there that need things from. That are a little bit different. And your job as a leader is to tap into that and help build them up versus tear them down through leading them ineffectively.
2: When you're coaching or coaching others to coach in in your structure that you have today, what advice would you give to somebody who is a first time people manager on how to do exactly what you just said?
1: Well, it's easy with PI
2: because we have the cheat sheet.
1: But if you didn't have a cheat sheet um, on how your folks want to be managed, the best way is to ask. Right. To check in often. We had a one-on-one today. You know, how did how did you feel like that went? What's one thing that as your manager I could be doing differently or I could be doing better? And being vulnerable to get that feedback and also your people need to know that you accept that feedback and see you taking it really well, which is step one, will allow you to understand where you're falling short. So, hey, I had a conversation with somebody on my team and he said we left that meeting and I didn't feel motivated. I felt extremely demotivated by the way that you presented that message. I would have much rather you said X, Y, Z. And that to me as the leader is only going to make me better. Um, And then it's going to make our relationship better. But you have to kind of open up that opportunity.
0: Well, now we really are out of time. It was absolutely brilliant having you. Sarah, since you are, obviously, we talked about scaling up your team. If people want to get in touch with you for the opportunity to work in, in your incredibly strong culture i think to develop people into into future sales leaders how how should they get in touch with you
1: i'm always open to a linkedin connect request um if if you have a really strong message hey heard you on the podcast wanted to connect on sales leadership or sales opportunities feel free to send me a message or like everybody first initial last name at company domain here predictiveindex.com. they can always reach out to me there
0: well hopefully we get some great talent your way thanks for being on and jenna thanks for co-hosting with me
2: thanks so much Thank you
0: both. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.